0: Thank you, Callum, for reading the passage. I always have this little panic that um, i read the schedule wrong, and somebody comes up and reads a different passage to what I've written. <laughs> I'm sure it happens occasionally, but thankfully, Callum read the passage up was much, which is great. So, I'm speaking today on what is truth in this rapidly changing world. Um, earlier this year, the German artist Boris Eldersen, He entered and won the Sony World Photographic Competition with this picture. You can't see it very (laughs) well on the projector, but this is a a World Award winning picture, and it's a photo. And I'm not an archetype, so I'm not going to explain the photo, I'm not going to say why it's won or what it's about. What I am going to say is that after receiving the award, After being announced as the winner of the World Photography Awards with this photo, Boris announced that he didn't actually take the photo. He actually announced that nobody took the photo. This photo was generated by artificial intelligence. And he wanted to see if the photography world was ready for AI. This is reported in the Guardian newspaper. And the report went on to say, the stunt comes at a time of immense debate over the use and implications of AI. With some issuing apocalyptic warnings that the technology is on the brink of a irreversibly damaging human experience. So recent advancements in the use of AI in chatbots, in driverless cars, in songwriting software, in the development of pharmaceuticals, etc. etc. has spurred this discussion. Google Chief Executive Sandar Pikai said that concerns about AI have led have kept him awake at night, and he warned that the technology can be very harmful if incorrectly deployed. AI has also led to the development of technology that can produce deep fake videos. So deep fake is where they use AI to l- leverage powerful techniques from machine learning and artificial intelligence to manipulate and generate visual and audio content that can more easily deceive. Producing videos of people that look and sound like someone so convincing that it can be impossible to tell whether the person is real or not. Again, beautifully displayed by our projector. You can clearly see a picture of President Zelensky. On March 16, 2022, a one minute long deepfake video depicting President Zelensky seemingly telling his soldiers to lay down their arms and surrender was circulated on social media. And hackers inserted the disinformation into a live, scrolling text-news crawl on 24 station Ukraine 24. And the video appeared briefly on the station's website, in addition to false claims that Zelensky had fled Kiev. It also found itself on social media, and it was noticed quickly as being a fake, and it was taken down eventually. We live in a world where truth is going to get more and more difficult to discern. We're flooded with digital information, or often disinformation. And it may be in fact that we are entering a new era, akin to the birth of the internet. And that era dramatically changed the world. We're now entering a new time where it will be intensely impossible to discern what is true, at least via digital media. So as it will become more and more difficult to discern whether what we are reading or seeing is true, we also currently live in a postmodern world where the definition Truth is changing. Truth used to be truth, clear, the only truth, one that others have to agree on and it can't be questioned. But now we live in a time where many believe that truth is what they personally want it to be. And these beliefs are so strong that speaking against their opinion is wrong. And this is a challenge to us as Christians. And the reason why it's such a challenge to evangelize such a challenge to speak God's truth to people because society says that what we believe to be true is personal only to us, and it's not something that we should or can communicate as the truth. And in this passage, Pilate asks Jesus a question that we need to continually ask ourselves in the world we live in. He asks Jesus, what is truth? But before we answer that question, I would love it if we can look at the passage in more detail. So just to set the scene, let's review what has happened leading up to the passage we've just read. And why he was brought before Pilate. Now there's a lot going on, and not everything's recorded in all the Gospels, so we need to take a deep dive of all four Gospels to build a timeline of what happened. As we look through all the Gospels, we can actually see that Jesus actually faced six trials in one day. Three of them were religious, and three of them were legal. So the first trial was a former corrupt high priest, Annas, and he he questioned him, and then he sent him to his son-in-law, who was the current high priest, Cephas, who also questioned him, before sending him before the great Sanhedrin Council, and they were the council of elders consisting of 71 members, and they were the highest holy body, the court of justice among the Jewish people at the time of Jesus. And over two sessions, many false witnesses came forward speaking against him. Yet nothing could be proven. And I'm struck, struck by the frustration of the high priest in the face of a calm. Silent Jesus, when he asks, Have you no answer to make? And that's recorded in both Matthew and Mark. I imagine the majority of those accused before them would react as we would. They probably react with anger, fear, begging, screaming, resisting, weeping, pleading. But Jesus is silent, composed filled with the peace of God and the certainty that he was exactly where he was supposed to be. Let's pause to consider this. We live in a world of injustice. We likely will face persecution at times in our lives. How will we stand for our accusers? Will we be angry, scared? Will we be frustrated? Or will we stand calm and composed, safe in the knowledge that we are children of God? And our strength comes from God, far more than we can ever achieve as mere humans. So the council decided that he was guilty, and they gave him the death penalty, but they didn't have a legal right to carry it out, so they were forced to take Jesus before the Roman governor at the time, a man named Pontius Pilate. And within these trials, they broke at least 80 Jewish laws, they held it in secret. They carried it out at night. They held it on Friday. It involved bribery and false witnesses. Jesus had no one to make a defense for him. They couldn't obtain two to three witnesses, which were required for trial. They carried out the death penalty against him on the same day, which should have been over two days. And they held it at a private residence. But what John doesn't mention is that Jesus also had a trial under Herod. And Luke 23 tells us that Pilate sent him to Herod, who then sent him back to Pilate for his third legal trial, which was his sixth trial. Luke 23 says, but when Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jewish at the time. So who was Pilate? Mr. Who was Pilate? So Pilate was appointed by Tiberius as the fifth prefect of Judah. And he served in the class from AD 26 to 36. So for 10 years, he was the Roman in charge of governing the region of Judah. He had the power of life and death. And he could reverse capital sentences passed by the Sanhedrin. As Jesus stood before Pilate, more lies were brought against him. His enemies said, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is a Christ king, a king. That's recorded in Luke 23. This is a lie. Jesus had told everyone in Matthew 22 to pay their taxes and he never spoke of himself as a challenger to Caesar. Now, the conversation between Pilate and Jesus was really interesting. So, have a look at the text from verse 3. Verse 3 says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about it? Am I a Jew, Pilate your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So you are a king then, I said. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came to this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? So let's consider what was going through Pilate's head here. Pilate had a reputation. He killed thousands of people by execution without trial. So the Jews assumed it would be easy to convince him. However, at the same time, the Romans were generally very superstitious. And they believed that if they killed someone without justification, they would be condemned by God. And the gods they in the, of the And Pilate had been told by his wife that she had a dream that Jesus was a righteous man and had to have nothing to do with him. Matthew 27 says, Whilst he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things today in the dream because of it. And then later he was. So Pilate was stuck here, he wanted to let him go. In fact, we can count in John's gospel five times he tried to let him go. But he also had the pressure of the Jews and the crowd against him. It was close to riot, and he was tasked with keeping order in the region of Judah, so he definitely conquists that. That could result in his own death. Then he sent him to Herod, who simply sent him back to Pilate. This leads to Pilate's second trial, which was actually required by Roman law. He questioned him again. Then he tries to find a way out. So he offers instead, grabbers the thing Apparently, this is a custom to release a prisoner, a pastor. I say apparently because there's not actually any evidence, historical evidence, that's been found in this custom. And some scholars say that potentially the pilot was um, using this, making it up to try and find uh, a way to send Jesus away from his death. But it's clear that he's trying to avoid sending Jesus. And he seems the clouds would be on his side when the end of it, but they come for gravest release. So Pilate tries to appease the crowd by having him scourged. This involves using a whip similar to the catalyticals, and it would have rocks and glass on the ends of the whips. And it would actually rip out large portions of skin, and many died. So close to execution as you can get in terms of cruelty. They also humiliated, they mocked him, they dressed him in purple, which is the colour of a king, they brought him out to the crowd, they ridiculed him when he was close to death, assuming that would be enough to let him go. And in pushing him back out to the crowd, Pilate announced, Behold the man. And this is important. Because the actual word used in the Greek, the Greek word used is anthropos, which actually means humanity or mankind. So this is a significant insult to the Jews. As he's insane saying the whole good man, he's ridiculing their humanity. The Jews were the lowest of low in the Roman Empire. It's actually why Paul couldn't be crucified as a Roman citizen. The, the Jews could be crucified because they were considered almost subhuman by the Romans. So he's effectively saying, he's saying all the man, he's effectively saying, this human close to death represents your humanity. Now this is ironic, because he was ridiculing, ridiculing the Jews by using human close to his death, humiliating, beaten, as a metaphor for the Jews. But what he didn't realise is that Jesus is what humanity should and could be, had it not been for the fact that sin had entered his world. So at this point, Pilate is afraid. He can see no way out, And it's only when they mention that Jesus called himself the son of God that this starts to give Pilate fear. And that is because the son of the God was a title given to Julius Caesar. They believe that when he died, he became a god. So Pilate now has to act. And then they say that in saying he is a king, Jesus opposes Caesar. And Pilate's biggest fear is Caesar. And he seems to be against him, who's bringing about his own death. And Caesar at the time Tiberius had killed a lot of people who didn't follow him. And notice that the priests actually said to him that they have no king, but Caesar. The Jews say that they have no king but Caesar. This is a sign of desperation. Now we only have to read many of the Psalms to know that God is their king. And here we can see the deceit, the lies, the falsehoods, the breaking of the Jewish laws, their desperation to have Jesus die. That their true king throughout this process is Satan. Now I want to focus on a while, for a while on verse 38. Pilate asked Jesus as he needs to speak to the Jewish leaders again. He asked, what is truth? But ironically, he's asking truth himself this question. Not realise that we're standing in front of a person from, all who, from who all truth comes. John fourteen six says, not long before being arrested and brought to the governor, Jesus made a simple statement. It says that he said, I am truth," Which is a rather incredible statement. How can it be a man be true? He couldn't be unless he was more than a man. Which is actually what he claimed to be. The fact that Jesus claimed was also validated when he rose from the dead, according to Romans 1, verse 4. We live in a world today where it seems that we are not allowed to tell people that we consider there to be one ultimate truth. Everyone's allowed to have their own truth. But if we disagree with their truth, we are wrong. And we currently live in an age which is classified as the post the quick solution through history is useful to explain what that means. So from Augustine to the Reformation in Western civilization, the concept of truth was dominated by theologians, and it was based on Biblical teaching. But beginning with the Renaissance, the over oh, the 14th and 17th century, thinkers began to elevate humans to the centre of reality, and they started to build truths which are based on humans and not on God. God was not the centre of truth, any longer man was. Then we have the Enlightenment period, which claims that only scientific data could be objectively understood, defined, and defended. Truth related to religion was discarded. And the philosopher Immanuel Kant in 1781 argued that true knowledge about God was impossible. So he created a divide of knowledge between facts, and faith, and the result was that spiritual matters were assigned to the realm of opinions, and only science were allowed to speak truth. Then we had the era of modernism, which went even further and believed absolutes in absolutes science, and the Bible was evicted from the realms of truth and certainty. And from modernism came postmodernism, which we currently live in. It's the era we currently live in. It was born, it's actually born in the 19th century, of ideas of friendly, Nature. And he said that all knowledge, including science, is a matter of perspective and interpretation. Other philosophers have also rejected any hint of absolute truth, or truth that just transcends all people and culture. So, post post is a philosophy that affirms no objective or absolute truth, especially in matters of religion and spirituality. Some is the phrase, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And this is dangerous, as it confuses matters of opinion with truth. It's skeptical today to say, this is true, as long as it's not followed by, therefore this is false. So what actually is the definition of truth? So the Greek word for truth is aletheia which literally means to unhide, or hiding nothing. So in order for something to be declared true, it must be discoverable. We must be able to find out about it. It must be transcultural. So it must be the same across cultures. It must be unchanging. So if it's true, it can't change. It must be unaffected by attitude. So if it's true, it can't be changed by different people's feelings. It must be total, and it must be knowable. We must be able to know it for it to be true. For example, two plus two equals four. Okay, we can't argue that's true. We know that's true. Two plus two equals four. That fact can be discovered. It's the same across all cultures. It can't be changed by attitudes. It can't change, and it's something that we know. So we can define that as being true. But postmodernism has distorted the definition of truth. Everyone can have their own truth, and no one can question it. Therefore, absolute truth does not exist. But when it comes to religion, this means that no one religion is able to announce that it is the one truth, or that others are inferior. This is one of the biggest threats of the gospel that we face, because it dismisses God's word as something that has no real authority over mankind and no ability to show itself as true in a world of competing religions. And this is why, in this postmodern era current we currently live in, it can be so difficult to tell those around us about Jesus. We think of this as being something new, brought about by the internet and the ability to have infinite amounts of information available instantly, of social media feeding us information that's one sided and based on our current interests. And beliefs which fuel our belief that we are correct and that anybody who opposes us is incorrect. But looking back at history, history of postmodernism, I was surprised to see that this has been a progressive development over hundreds of years, brought to a peak in our current internet information field society. But we are now entering a new artificial intelligence fueling era. You could call it post-post-modern era. One in which we are gonna be fed more and more information that's not even generated by humans, that's generated by AI. And this could be a significant moment in history, almost on a part of the birth of the internet. We're coming into a time when AI will be more intelligent than us humans, and that's dangerous. We already have AI software generating fake news on social media, changing people's opinions, polarizing humanity, so that we are led to be people who have firm opinions about things and to believe that only we are right. On March 22nd of this year, key figures in artificial intelligence, including Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, and many other big names, signed an open letter. In fact, and our last document was signed by thousand people, all big names in the industry. And it stated that advanced AI could represent a profound change in the history of life on Earth and should be planned for and managed with commensurate care and resources. Contemporary AI systems are now becoming human competitive at general tasks. And we must ask ourselves, should we let machines flood our information channels with propaganda and untruth? Should we automate away all the jobs, including the fulfilling ones? Should we develop non-human minds that might eventually outnumber, outsmart, obsolete and replace us? Should we risk loss of control of our civilization? Therefore, we call on the AI labs to immediately pause for six months the training of AI systems. And this hasn't happened. It was ignored. In a postmodern world that denies that truth can be known, the question is more important than ever, what is truth? What we believe is true as Christians can be best summarised by the Apostles' Creed, which is an ancient proclamation early church and it says I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth I believe in Jesus Christ his only son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary he suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified died and was buried he descended to hell the third day he rose again from the dead and he ascended from heaven and it's seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Just an aside, the, the word Catholic here, it doesn't relate to the Roman Catholic Church, but was a term used by the early church, the international body of the church. So here it's related to meaning the whole the United Church. I believe in the United Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So what are we as Christians to do? The first thing we need to do is to hold and guard the truth of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 6.20 says, guard the good deposit and trust it to And I preached a sermon a few weeks ago on God's Word and why it is truth. There's too much to say about this in these last few minutes of the sermon, but the Bible is the truth. And everything we think and believe should be backed up by God's Word. Online sermons, visiting new churches, reading articles online, listening to worship songs, reading Christian literature, it should all be backed up by the truth of God's Word. If it seems wrong or uncomfortable or untrue, this could be the Holy Spirit speaking to you. We need to be alert to listen to this. And it may be that there will be a day one day when it will only be safe to to read a written version of God's word. Texts on the internet could potentially become corrupted. That's quite a statement to say when we live in a world where Bible apps make the Bible more accessible than ever. But what if the signatures in this open letter are true that say that AI will eventually take over information control of the internet? It's something we need to seriously consider. And I urge you, if you don't yet have a paper copy of the Bible, go buy one, because that can't be changed. But what we read on our phones can be. So what else, what we as Christians to do? The Holy Spirit prompting that I just mentioned, please just take what Jesus says in John 16, 13, where he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whenever he hears, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that come true. And this for me is a great relief When we choose to submit our lives to Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ calls him a helper in verse 16 of John 16. And as the world around us becomes unclear, ill-defined truths, we have supernatural help in the form of the Holy Spirit who will speak truth to us. But we need to lean into this more than ever before. It's so important that we seek the Holy Spirit in forming our own understanding of what truth is. So what, what do we need to do as Christians? We also need to pray. We need to pray for understanding. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to pray for guidance. We need to pray for perseverance. And we need to pray for forgiveness. Because it can be easy to get angry at the world and those around us who hold so firmly to their own truths and close the door to listening to other truth. We need to pray for God to show us what to read, what to listen, and what to watch. And we need to pray for more of the Holy Spirit to help us with these things. We need to pray for peace and calmness that Jesus showed us when was in front. As we enter a world where truth is more and more unclear, and based on more and more disinformation and strong individual opinions, we need to pray for the calmness and peace that Jesus demonstrates to us. This world is a rapidly changing world around us, and it's changing so fast that no one can keep up. We live in a world where we can find out anything about anything or anyone any time, and infinite amounts of information are available to us, but we are entering a world where it will be more and more difficult to discern what is true. We're entering a world where we are only allowed to keep our beliefs to ourselves. We're entering a world where everyone is right for their opinions and beliefs, but no one is allowed to question. It's gonna get more and more challenging to be a Christian in the world, I not So we need more of God's wisdom. Thankfully, we're not in this alone. Thankfully, we have supernatural power behind us. No matter how confusing the world will become, we can take great comfort in the truth that God is in charge. Amen. Amen. He set down what will happen in the coming times before the dawn. So, no matter what's happening, how confusing it is, God is still in charge. This is still his plan. And more than ever, we need his spirit to help us through this dangerous, AI driven time that we are into. So, let's pray. We just thank you that you are in charge. That we are in this ever confusing truth distorted world, Lord. no matter how confused and and frustrated we get, Lord, with the world we're entering, that you are in charge, that this is part of your plan. That you are you've led this path that we are undertaking. And we thank you that you will guide us and carry us through Lord. We thank you that you will give us wisdom and guidance on how to deal with situations that we come across at work, at school, at uni, around our families, Lord. People who have their own truths and do not want to hear our truths, Lord. We just pray that you help us to be wise to information that is fed to us, Lord. That is contrary to your truth help us to hold on to your words as the truth that we should believe god well, now help us to hear you through this help us to hear your holy spirit as it prompts us in situations that are wrong or untrue or uncomfortable or that we should avoid in texts we see on the internet that we should just disregard God now and ever, Lord, we lean into you, we lean into your spirit, we lean into your comfort and your wisdom and your guidance. In Jesus' name, Amen.